Have you ever heard of an EAP for your sports program? EAP stands for Emergency Action Plan. Do you know who or what is in place to keep your kids safe at their sports venue? Today we will visit with a physician from the Jacksonville Fire and Rescue Department and the Supervisor of Athletic Trainers for the Duval County Public Schools to help explain the process before the flashing lights appear at your child's sports venue. And welcome to the Youth Sports Safety Update, produced by the Jacksonville Sports Medicine Program, or JSMP, in Jacksonville, Florida. JSMP is a nonprofit advocacy and prevention program partnered with local schools and sports programs to provide best practices for safety in sports. JSMP is dedicated to youth sports safety through awareness, advocacy, and prevention. Your host today is Jim Mackey, program coordinator of the JSMP and a certified athletic trainer with over 47 years of experience in the collegiate high school clinical and professional sports settings. Please subscribe to our podcast and check out our website at jaxsmp.com for more information about youth sports safety. Our guests today are medical director of the Jacksonville Fire and Rescue Department, or JFRD, as you've heard, and a certified athletic trainer who supervises the 17 athletic trainers in our Duval County Public Schools. Each has many years of experience in their respective fields. Please welcome today Dr. Bradley Elias of JFRD and Jerry Stevens of the Duval County Public Schools. Jerry, we've just placed these certified athletic trainers in our schools. What do they do? What do they provide? What's the value they bring? Well, Jim, let me uh, begin by saying thanks to you and Dr. Elias for the opportunity to discuss such an important and vital component to youth sports safety. The certified and licensed athletic trainers in our Duval County Public Schools are, are the frontline healthcare professionals that interact with our coaches and student athletes on a daily basis. It begins with injury prevention and sports safety. This is the foundation for a quality athletic training program in our secondary school athletic programs. The goal is to limit injury by implementing and enforcing a safe environment for conditioning, training, practice, and game situations. A licensed athletic trainer is specialized in evaluating and assessing such injuries resulting from athletic or physical activity and managing those injuries, communicating the findings with his or her volunteer team physician, coaches, and involved parent or guardian. And in coordination with the volunteer team physician, go ahead and develop a plan of care for the for the student athlete. All right. Well, tell me a little bit about uh, their experience that they're training to handle things like uh, heat illness, heat injuries, cardiac arrest, and things like that. Well, you know, the licensed athletic trainer is skilled at assessing an injury situation and quickly to determine the need to activate the EAP or in turn EMS. And so today's educational requirements for the athletic trainer are much more advanced than when you or I began many years ago. Today, all athletic trainers are graduates with master's degrees in the profession. And uh, it's from a KD approved curriculum. So in order to, to sit for the national certification as well as qualify for state licensure, they need to have completed this program. And their educational program covers a, a, a vast array of conditions uh, involving musculoskeletal, cardiovascular, neurological, uh, types of injuries from a preventative evaluation assessment standpoint, injury management, documentation, rehabilitation. They're even, they're even educated on environmental conditions using equipment like wet ball globe thermometers, all the way to emergency injury management. Uh, some examples briefly uh, of, of um, their, ma their management specialization to involve emergency management include 
but aren't limited to cervical spine injuries, starting sudden cardiac arrest, and heat-related injuries requiring cold water immersion. All right, thank you. Uh, Dr. Elias, uh, JFRD responds to emergencies all over Duval County. I cannot imagine how many calls are made every day, but you also provide us with sideline care uh, for many of our sporting events. How have you seen this relationship grow between the EMS, emergency medical services, um, and the uh, certified athletic trainers? Uh, thank you, Jim. Jim, actually, we're up to 135,000 uh, calls for service uh, on, a, on a yearly basis. Just kind of put that in perspective. Um, over the past couple of years, we've definitely seen a, uh, a growth uh, in our relationship with the trainers, uh, much more collaboration, information sharing, uh, understanding expectations of uh, both parties involved. Uh, it's been great. Uh, we've actually added some areas uh, to our protocols addressing specific uh, sports-related issues. And, and with the help of uh, the Jacksonville Sports Medicine Program, uh, we've uh, used some of their information in our protocols, specifically uh, the protocol on sports helmet removal and also uh, emphasizing cold water immersion therapy as well. That's excellent. Uh, can you talk about some of the specific training maybe that we've worked together on to uh, uh, to help uh, your crews and uh, help that inter interdisciplinary uh, coordination, as they call it, uh, so that... Uh, people kind of understand how we train together and what we train in. You mentioned the, the removal of football helmets, but what uh, kind of expand on that process a little bit? Sure, absolutely. Uh, JFRDE and, and uh, the Jacksonville Sports Medicine Program, we've uh, participated together in the annual training, uh, incorporating EMTs, athletic trainers, sideline physicians, typically myself. Uh, it's a great opportunity, very hands-on, open uh, discussions. We discuss everything from backboarding, patient movement, uh, approach to cardiac arrest care in a timely fashion, emphasizing the importance of communication and also teamwork. I, I think uh, one of the major uh, results from our, our meetings uh, has been that, uh, that welcome and introduction uh, before an event. Uh, our team uh, meets with uh, typically the sideline team and everybody understands who they are, what their roles are and uh, the expectations of everybody. So I think that's been a, a great uh, outcome uh, from these annual meetings. Excellent point there. And you mentioned the um, pregame, we call it a medical timeout type situation. Hopefully we'll talk about that a little bit more as we go on. But um, uh, help help us understand maybe the challenges you have. I think I've heard you say something like 1,500 uh, EMS providers, firefighters in that. Is that correct? And then how can we maybe better improve uh, to get that communication to the, uh, on the, on the grassroots level there of, of your people and our people, so to speak? I, I think it really works, uh, you know, from leadership uh, with, uh, you know, myself and, and, and my staff, working with uh, your leadership there at the, the Jacksonville Sports Medicine Program. Uh, we, we have set policies. Uh, we've emphasized the importance of uh, therapies for, for heat stroke. Uh, one of the big fundamental changes, obviously, when, when we show up on scene, we, we do a quick assessment, and typically uh, we're off the scene uh, very quickly. But one of the big fundamental uh, changes in, in, in therapy is with the heat illness in that they need 
uh, cold water immersion therapy uh, for a period of time. And that kind of goes uh, slightly counterintuitive to what we typically do. Uh, and so that's been, been a, a big effort uh, educationally wise uh, for us to say, hey, we need to keep that, that person experiencing the heat illness in the immersion bath and, and let their temperature come down and then we can go. So, you know, I think working together, we've we've kind of helped identify areas of improvement and, and we've put them in place. We appreciate that very much. And this this has been a, an over 20 year process, I believe. But but building these relationships and I want to applaud JFRD because they are um, we don't get this kind of cooperation all over the country when we talk to our other athletic trainers in that Um but I think we're, uh, because of our relationship, because of what y'all have done and continue to do, uh, it sets a great example for other emergency departments around the uh, the country, around the state and, and that. So, Jerry, we, we brought up at the beginning this EAP or um, emergency action plan. Why, why is it important and why is it important to have it for every sports venue? Well, it, it's important. A lot of things that uh, Dr. Elias just mentioned um, is the EAP is really what is put into action immediately upon assessing the situation that's going to need uh, EMS to be notified. So, you know, an efficient, you know, well-coordinated emergency action plan establishes and identifies the specific roles and procedures to follow in the event of a suspected traumatic or life-threatening situation at one of our high schools. So uh, there are many moving parts to coordinate when implementing an EAP. And the two main goals, and there are many goals of the EAP, but two main goals are to manage the situation in the safest, most efficient manner possible and to do no harm. So, um, you know, each one of our secondary schools in Duval County that's part of the, the DCPS program um, has these specific EAPs in place in the right people designated within that, which we'll probably talk about in a little bit. Right. Thank you. And we've added a, uh, a sample of an emergency action plan in the show notes that anybody can access and uh, as well as some of the position and consensus statements related to this. But what really what we're talking about is placing a, uh, a venue specific program because it's different for, for a football program and a stadium and the numbers of people there versus a, um, a tennis athlete who or, or a tennis person at a park that may collapse, uh, have cardiac arrest, and outlining what are the roles and responsibilities, who's going to do, and what are those simple five, six, seven action steps that that should happen in case of any emergency. So I probably answered my own question, but is this something, and both of you can address this, that um, is just for uh, high school programs, or should it be for any situation, any sports venue? Well, I'll uh, defer to Dr. Elias on things that occur outside of uh, a sports venue for us. I, I know in our working relationship with JFRD, um, we kind we have an agreement that, say, during a football game, what happens inside the fence or inside the field of play, uh, we work as a unit. Uh, but if it happens up in the stands or in the parking lot, we defer to their expertise uh, with the general public. And, yeah, and just to add on that, you know, I, I do think um, any place where people gather, uh, whether it's a, a business, a sports venue, uh, a park, you know, somewhere uh, 
that organization needs to have uh, an AEP, uh, an e, excuse me, EEP. Um, so, you know, I think it's just, uh, you know, a fundamental um, obligation to, to have uh, a simple, at least a simple plan to address uh, potential emergencies that may develop, uh, whether they're medical, uh, traumatic, uh, weather-related. Uh, I think that's just an, an obligation whenever uh, an organization has people gathering. Yeah, and I think that's a great point. Any 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 organization, church, business, uh, bottom line, any place people gather, uh, people know who who's in charge and and who's going to do what uh, beyond dialing nine one one because we. I don't want to cheat CPR here, but we know that early response uh, saves lives. And whether that be uh, uh, doing uh, chest compressions uh, in CPR or getting the AED there quickly uh, makes a difference. And where uh, JFRD is as spread out as, as Jacksonville is, uh, they can't be there in two minutes like you see on TV. It just might take a couple minutes here uh, to, to get there and respond. So the people on site uh, need to have a plan. Uh, rather than just uh, observing what goes on. So I'll let uh, both of you respond to this, but what do you think the general public can do better to prepare for emergencies? Um, I think, Dr. Elias, you, you talk about our CPR training and, Jerry, maybe the access to AEDs, what we have in place, or what what should we be even looking for in our communities? Sure, sure, I, I can start. Uh, you know, I, sure. I think uh, that there's plenty of opportunities uh, for the public to get involved. And, you know, I know in the past year, COVID has kind of hindered uh, training opportunities and face-to-face gatherings. But I think that's uh, hopefully going to be behind us soon and we can begin to get back together and and uh, learn new things. And you know, I think, you know, the, the general public can uh, learn CPR training. It's simple. It's uh, a potentially very life-saving. Um, you know, now we're emphasizing compression only. We're not uh, focusing on the mouth-to-mouth piece. Uh People can learn how to use an AED, an automated external defibrillator. Uh, we all know that the chances for survival of any out-of-hospital uh, cardiac arrest is best when there is bystander CPR and an AED is used. Uh, quick defibrillation is the key to success uh, for successful cardioversion. So, you know, just like you mentioned, Jim, uh, the sooner that defibrillation happens with the AED, uh, the better chance of survival. And unfortunately, as, as time elapses, uh, that chance of getting that person back uh, begins to diminish. Uh, there's also a couple other uh, trainings out there. Uh, uh, the Stop the Bleed uh, program, uh, fostered by a number of our trauma centers, uh, you know, focuses on uh, traumatic injuries, uh, particularly when there's uh, bleeding risk, uh, teaching the use of bandages and tourniquets. And also, and unfortunately, you know, we're still involved in the uh, the opioid epidemic. And so uh, Drug-Free Duval teaches uh, the use of nasal Narcan and identifying people with uh, uh, narcotic overdose. Uh, and unfortunately, that's uh, present in our community as well. So there's multiple areas uh, in which uh, uh, you know, the public can learn uh, how to make a difference and uh, potentially save a life. That's excellent. Excellent. Uh, you know, it's one thing to to have a plan and it's one thing to know what to do. But Jerry, speak to what your athletic trainers and schools do as far as these annual rehearsals and uh, how, what what kind of should they look like? Well, uh, as far as annual rehearsals, we, we do it in two stages. Obviously, as Dr. Elias mentioned, we do work collaboratively with them each year uh, prior to the beginning of, of our fall sports season, usually latter part of July. Uh, and we, we will discuss and go over any changes 
uh, related to protocols and uh, those types of things. It could, our, our whole process there is we want to eliminate any confusion at the time we need to enact an EAP. Uh, and then at each, in each one of our schools, uh, we have uh, plans in place. Uh, since each school community is a little bit different, it's a little more uh, customized uh, to, to the needs of that particular school. And what um, the goal there is, is to uh, meet with the head coaches. The athletic trainer will meet with the head coaches. We'll also meet with the parents during parent meetings um, and, and address these types of situations. Uh, and um, then we go through when it needs to be mandatory. It's not at this time, but uh, we uh, review and uh, go through simulations when possible up to the point of actually calling 911 because obviously we can't want to pull them off their uh, off of their uh, station uh, for a practice run. Uh, our athletic trainers uh, are equipped with an AED on person, as well as those that we have located throughout uh, at the different venues on campus. Um, the athletic trainer is the person that is um, best suited to initiate that process and is aware of uh, where these uh, items are located. And that has been reviewed with each individual coach and his or her staff uh, as well. But in the event that that EAP is, is enacted, and 911 is uh, activated for EMS to arrive. Again, it's going through that process, which gate needs to be opened, uh, which uh, is the best way for them to enter the venue and uh, give as much information as we can to prepare them. As Dr. Elias mentioned earlier, with some changes in uh, heat injury, heat injured athletes, that uh, if they're made aware of that uh, through the 911 operator, they know that we're going to be uh, using a cold water immersion tub to cool that that patient down prior to transport. So all those things are um, are reviewed and practiced uh, on a regular basis. And as you know, as both of you mentioned earlier, it's also discussed as a point of importance uh, during our medical timeouts before all of our uh, home and away football games, in which um, uh, or within our district. Uh, other counties, Jim, as you alluded to, may not practice the same level of, uh, of care that, that we put into in our, in our Duval County uh, system. Okay, very good. Uh, Dr. Elias, thank you for mentioning those other programs such as Stop the Bleed, uh, the opioid epidemic that's out there and the Narcam, as well as uh, stroke, something that's very prevalent that uh, people can be aware of. And uh, one, it's, it is taking care of, taking advantage of the CPR training, basic first aid, and being able to recognize things because you're your people do a great job when we do call 911 in the days of cell phone. You can put it on speaker and put it right there and talk through the situation. And uh, even if necessary, uh, take a picture of it. But, you know, speaking of taking pictures and that when when you're planning out a, a uh, emergency action plan, would you speak a little bit to um, some of the basic things that are uh, elementary to and you can expand on these. I'll mention a couple, but like just like. Crowd control, promoting privacy, uh, access. You know, we've we've had all those nightmares and that, but uh, uh, just pre-planning. What what are some of the basic things that y'all are looking for when you're even creating an emergency action plan? Would you say? Yeah, you know, I, I think it, you know again, it should be uh, somewhat broad. Uh, it doesn't have to be too complicated, but but again, uh, 
delineating who's doing what I think is important to, you know, whether it's a medical emergency, the cardiac arrest, a choking, uh, an injury, you know, defining who's going to render first aid, who's calling 911. Um, when you call 911, what, you know, what information we're, we're going to need to know the situation, you know, the age, uh, the type of injury or type of medical complaint. Uh, the location obviously is is critical, and then also you know incorporating that in the plan. How is our our first responder vehicles are are we going to be having easy access uh, into the uh, the environment uh, into the incident, uh, and then we'll also need to have uh, easy egress uh, onward to the hospital. Obviously, we're talking about a lot of time dependent conditions, and so uh, having that traffic flow. Uh, plan in place, uh, depending on the size of the venue, uh, can be very critical. Uh, you know, whether uh, something is going to have to require evacuation, if uh, uh, whether it's weather or, or other circumstances, what's the uh, safest way to, uh, uh, an orderly way to move people out of uh, the venue or the business. Um, I think we also need to, you know, being in Florida, we always have to, you know, consider weather and, uh, extremes of uh, wind and lightning. Those are always threats and having uh, contingency plans for that uh, are, are important. And unfortunately, as you know, we've seen over the past year of understanding CDC guidance is always important. And, um, you know, hopefully uh, COVID is uh, reaching a, you know, kind of a, a level that is uh, less than it has been. Uh, but there may be other uh, threats in the future and, you know, understanding uh, the current CDC guidance and how to, uh, you know, have people safe is, is always uh, another good uh, mechanism to, to incorporate in a plan. That's excellent. Jerry, would you like to add anything as we close out here today? Yeah, just just one one point. Uh, you know, everything that Dr. Elias said is, is perfect and, and spot on. And, you know, the idea that that we we coordinate the EAP that, that we put in place on campus with the EAP that they utilize when they come on campus. And we understand each other's roles to do that. Um, I, I would like to the listeners to understand that uh, we only have JFRD or another, another uh, EMS, EMS ambulance company, so to speak, available to us on site for football games. The rest of the year, and as you, everyone knows, we have a lot more sports than just football and a lot more nights and, and days and weekends than just football. The athletic trainer is the sole uh, emergency person on scene to initiate that EAP and to make sure that it's followed as uh, close to perfection as possible until EMS can arrive. And so um, we do at the at, at the advice of uh, Dr. Elias and Jacksonville Fire Rescue, we have uh, done our best to put those steps in place. And uh, so whether it's a soccer game or a lacrosse game or a basketball game where the athletic trainer is the only healthcare provider on site for those events, uh, it's important that these EAPs be delegated. So like Dr. Elias said, you know, the school resource officer knows that that's the person that's going to initiate 911 because they have a direct access to that dispatch. And then we have people in place to manage the crowd and we have people in place to show the, uh, the, the ambulance where to go once they, once they arrive on campus. And so those things are, are just much more important and that we still have those discussions before the beginning of any of our games in that medical timeout 
to review those things with those people that are in place to help us uh, at those venues. Yes, thank you. That that medical timeout is a very critical uh, part of everything because, as we say, the the time to meet people is not in times of crisis. And uh, so you, and as uh, some of our famous athletic trainers say, uh, a failure to plan is a plan to fail. And uh, so it takes it takes that coordination. And JFRD, JSMP, the Duval County Public Schools have. Uh, I got to brag on ourselves. We've all done a very good job of of uh, learning to be humble, learning to uh, communicate, learning to share uh, protocols, share uh, best practices, and and things, and uh, be responsive and, and sensitive to one another as as different uh, professionals and teaching our team physicians that. So, hopefully, all of this will give our our parents a, a greater level of uh, trust and and. Uh, appreciation for what is done in, in preparation to keep their kids safe, but it also gives them uh, more information because kids are involved in travel sports and all kinds of things. And, and a good question is, what it, what is your emergency action plan here? Is there a certified athletic trainer? Do you have EMS people on site in that? So really want to thank uh, Dr. Bradley Elias of the Jacksonville Fire and Rescue Department and Jerry Stevens of the uh, Duval County Public Schools uh, for the very useful and practical information. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Youth Sports Safety Update. JSMP is dedicated to youth sports safety through awareness, advocacy, and prevention. Please share what you have learned and implement to make sports and those who participate safer. Check our show notes for examples of an EAP. One way is to make sure your school or sports team is safely prepared is to have a certified licensed athletic trainer present. Please subscribe to our podcast. And for more information, go to our website at jaxsmp.com. Please write a review and let us know what you think or we'd like to know more about. The Youth Sports Safety Update is produced by JSMP. I'm your host and producer today, Jim Mackey. Please join us again soon. And thank you very much. Have a great day.